0: God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on My Bridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. We're in a series, The Gospel of John. I have really personally, I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, I think it's so rich. John's given us this upfront, first row view of being along with Jesus on his journey while he was on earth. And man, we can learn so much about who God is. One of our our goals for this year as a church is to know him and make him known. To know him and make him known. And the gospel of John is a beautiful place to start with that. Matter of fact, this morning's passage we're diving into introduces us to the very first public miracle of Jesus. And it happens at a wedding. And their miracle happened to be something quite different. It was Jesus turning water into what? wine. Some of you are familiar with the story, water to wine. This really isn't a passage that is to create a dogma or a doctrine about whether or not you should or shouldn't drink wine. As a matter of fact, metaphorically in the Bible, wine is positively and negatively spoken of, which is just like our nature, right? To take something that could be innocent and make it bad. So this really isn't about whether you drink or don't drink or, you know, and plus there's some theologians, they argue about the alcohol content. That isn't even the issue here. See, that's not what really is going on. The issue here is everything is fine until it's not. See, everything in life can be fine, and then all of a sudden, it's not. And that's what happens in this wedding. Everybody, man, is enjoying a good time until they're not. And that is life for us. What happens when the joy in your your walk with God or the joy in your relationships and your friendships tanks and the wine runs out? What happens, church, when the wine runs out? I want you to go with me to John's Gospel, chapter 2. Come on, somebody. I love the Word of God. When the, what do you do when the wine runs out? What do you do? Chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, Cana was a neighboring city of Nazareth. And to give you a little bit of just geography, so if some of you are visual like me, Jesus had been in Jerusalem. He made the trip north to an area called Galilee. And in Galilee, there was two communities uh, above the Sea of Galilee, Nazareth and Cana, about probably nine miles apart. Now, some people think that's why they were at the wedding, when really, it's probably a little more than that. There's a good chance that Mary and Jesus, his whole family for that matter, had a relationship with the couple that was getting married. They're, they may have been family. They may have been really good friends. You say, Rick, why, why do you say that? Well, that's a little bit of conjecture, but really not. I don't think so because you're going to see Mary is feeling responsible at this wedding. And I kind of like it because she's a problem solver. How many problem solvers have we got in the house? She's not afraid to get her hands dirty. Look at this, verse 3. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. In verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. How about some sound advice right there, huh? And now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons and Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the what? Brim. Brim. Don't you just love that Jesus doesn't do anything haphazard? Yeah. If you're going to fill them up, guess what he does? He fills you up all the way to the top. Yeah, that's good, I love that. And you know, just, just a little bit of context here, these, these stone jars, they were heavy without water. But if you start pouring water in them, you're talking 20 to 30 gallons, each jar could weigh 240 pounds. That, that's, a, that's a lot of water, right? That's a lot of water. And they would use these, these stone jars to wash their hands and their feet, to, out, to wash the outward man, okay, the outward person. Now look at verse eight. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. What is it? Water. And they took it to him. And look at verse nine. And when the master of the feast taste of the water now become wine and did not know where it came from though the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom now why is he calling the bridegroom because in ancient days the bridegroom's family was responsible to pay for the wedding celebration man i'm i'm not sure why that changed but it changed you know verse 10 and he said to him everyone serves good wine first And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until what? Now. How cool is that? I'm going to tell you the devil. You know what the devil loves to do? He loves to give you and serve you up the the best wine of your day so he can leave you in the worst of ways. (laughs) But Jesus does all things well. And I love this characteristic that Jesus saves the best for last. And there are some of us in the house today, you're feeling like you're at the end. You feel like you've run out of wine. Some of you feel like you've run out of wine in the workplace. You've run out of wine in your marriage. Or you are run out of wine with hope for your kids. And, and I'm going to tell you something, man. When you feel like you're at your end, Jesus saves the best for you right now. That's who he is. That's the kind of savior we serve. Saves the best till last. Now look at verse 11. This was the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum. That wasn't real far. Down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Capernaum kind of became his headquarters for ministry. But I want you to see in that scripture right there, that's on the screens, The word signs, this becomes a popular word. We're going to see this um, more often in the Gospel of John. Rather than say miracles, John likes using the word signs because he is recognizing that when God does something powerful in your life or in his people's lives, that is to become a sign in the road of life that says, This way to the one who can make a difference. It's a directional. And so he sees every miracle as a sign pointing to the one who is manifesting his glory. What is glory? Glory is splendor. It's dignity. It's honor. It implies really what worship is all about, that one who we're to worship. That's what what he's communicating there. Now, I want to give you three takeaways today from the scripture we just read. But I, I think there's a bigger picture here that I want us to be open to understanding. See, the world has run out of wine, and no one knows it. Everyone's carrying on with their life. They're thinking we're going to get back to normal, or we're going to have some kind of new normal. But what they don't realize, and they're partying, and they're just pressing on, they're feeling like life's going to somehow get somewhere that makes them happy, makes them fulfilled. What they don't realize is that the world's run out of wine, church. And God is looking for a people that they have eyes that see, they have ears that hear. That when it comes to our culture, when it comes to our society, we have to see a world that keeps looking to the wrong places because the wine they think will bring happiness and fulfillment will only end in death. And, And God wants the world to recognize there's a different source than what they're turning to. And you know what's unfortunate? That we in the Western world that are Christians all too often... We keep looking to the wrong source yeah. for joy, happiness, for transformation. So, what do we do when the wine runs out? You with me? What do we do when the, wine run, when the wine runs out? Here's the first thing we do you have to know who to ask. You have to know who to ask. I love what scripture says here that Mary knew where to go, she went directly to her son. It says that when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Mary didn't know what to do, but she sure knew who to go to. Come on, <laughs> I love that. What a cool exhortation that when the wine runs out, you can know who to ask. You may not even know how he is going to fix it, but you know who to go to. This is so crucial. Now, what gets a little bit maybe confusing here is the way Jesus responds to, responds to her. Woman? Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of goes against me a little bit. I was raised to show great reverence to my, my parents, to my mom. I mean, my mom's a queen. You know, I treated my mom with great respect. I would never call my mom woman. Besides, if I had, there'd be a slap coming. You don't call me woman. <laughs> You know, and she probably wouldn't do that. But I would, I, I would be, I'd be mortified. Now, my dad was alive. He believed in his banking. But woman? So we got to ask ourselves, uh, is this really the tone that Jesus has, this disrespectful tone? And it's not. This is where the, you know, the translation from Greek to English gets messy because really we don't have a good English word for the Greek word in this situation. It's one thing we, we do know, though, even from the Greek, that this was not the normal way that a son would talk to his mother. This wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't dishonoring her, but he was using a more formal word to identify her. It'd be more like us saying, ma'am, and even that doesn't really do justice. So why is he doing this? And here's the key. Jesus is letting his mom know there's a shift in relationship now. You can no longer just come to me And ask me to do something as your son. Hey, mom, I'm not just your son. I'm going to be your savior. And I love how John records this. And you you see this all the more by what Jesus says. He says, you know, what do I have to do with this? My hour has not come. That word hour in the Greek and the way John uses it has to deal with a divine appointment. It refers to Jesus' death, him dying for our sins. And so even from the beginning, Jesus is saying, you know, my time hasn't come for just that. See, Mary understood that Jesus had a mission, which makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, she's the one who had the angelic visitation. She's the one who... you know, who conceived the Son of God. She's the one who, with her husband Joseph, when they, you know, Jesus was lost for like three days and they had to go back to Jerusalem and search for him and they found him in the temple and he's actually reasoning with theologians even at a young age. And he says, why were you worried about me? Why wouldn't I be in my father's house? She'd experienced all of this. And and then recently she heard the scuttle. You can't live, I mean, you you can't live in a small community and not hear the scuttle. She heard the scuttle, what John the Baptist had proclaimed twice publicly, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. On top of that, she's at a wedding, and Jesus has brought his his team, his disciples, so she knows his time is coming. And I think she's a proud mom, and she wants his ministry to begin. And so I think she's saying, this is your moment, Jesus. And Jesus says, that hour isn't here yet. But watch what she does. She doesn't do this helicopter mom thing. Well, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. She turns to the servants, and she just says, hey, do whatever he says. You know what that implies is that there's a shift of submission, of surrender. You know, I hate that word surrender. I'm a fighter by nature. I never want to give up. But can I tell you in your relationship with Christ, if you don't learn to surrender, you'll never see a miracle you have to know who to ask. And so there's not only this shift in relationship we see with Mary, but some of us need to have a shift in relationship because as we grow in Christ, we need to have, we need to recalibrate our faith. There's times where, where he's our best friend and we're so grateful that he's with us and he's never left us. But I'm telling you, there's a time when you need to yield. You need to quit trying to be in control and you need to let him be Lord. And this idea of savior in the, him being the Messiah, we kind of separate what that looks like. But in the Hebrew culture, they understood whoever's the savior is also the Lord. Sometimes there needs to be a shift not not only here in Mary's recognition of who Jesus is, but there needs to be a shift in us and who Jesus is. And there needs to be some submission. There needs to be some surrender. There needs to be this idea that I'm giving God everything. I'm going to yield it all to him. No matter what happens, I'm coming under you, Jesus. Folks, I'm an option guy. I'm a person who wants lots of backups, lots of alternatives. But the only option that Jesus is willing to take is someone who comes and yields everything to him. That's That's what Mary does. So we see this shift in relationship, but there's another shift that really needs to happen. We need to recognize that all too often we're looking to other people to be our Savior. Come on. I'll be honest with you, there's times where I want Wendy to be my Savior. There's times where I want my family to be my Savior. There's times where I want my staff to be my Savior. There's times where I want my job to be my income to be my Savior. But we need to go to Jesus. Spouses, listen to me, there are some things that your spouse can't fix. Go to Jesus. There are some of you, you keep expecting your retirement somehow to be your savior. Go to Jesus. There are people, some of you want to date or you're in a dating relationship and you keep wanting to find your identity and your happiness in the person. And I'm telling you, no, the wine has run out. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. We need to go to Jesus. See, the good news is the same Jesus who was at the wedding wants to meet you today in your circumstances. And so Mary says, hey, do whatever he says, which brings us really to the second takeaway. Write this down if you're taking notes. We not only need to know who to ask, we need to know who to listen to. Hmm. Listen to what what Mary says to the servants. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She's telling them in this verse to listen what he says regardless of whether or not it makes sense. And just what? Do it. Listen to what he says. Now, one of the things that we kind of lose in our Western culture is when we think of hearing or listening, we think of this process of what our physical ears are taking in. But in the Hebrew culture, if you were to listen, inherently it's this idea that I'm going to receive their instruction and do it. Mary say, no, you got to really listen to what Jesus wants you to do. And what's something I think is so important here is that God wants us to listen to him because faith man, grows, the word of God, hearing the word of God grows our faith. Yeah, yeah. And really, you know, there's so many people that teach about faith. And I think sometimes they've, well, I know they have. There are so many groups within our, the Christian umbrella that take faith and they make it something like you're manipulating God with, which grieves me. See, faith is not believing in the miracle. Faith is believing in the miracle worker. Do what Jesus says to do. She doesn't say we need this water to become wine. I expect it. That, no, that wasn't her expectancy. Her expectancy was in Christ, which really kind of brings something up when it comes to faith. We need to have an expectancy for God to move. See, Mary understood that Jesus works in the middle of expectation. She has her expectation. Now she's laid it upon the servants to listen to Jesus. So there's expectancy amongst them right now. And the, difficult with that, the difficulty I wrestle with with that word expectancy is that some people can manipulate and they use that. And it's like they, they train Christians to be these bratty children and say, God, you got to do this for me. If I say the right things, if I give the right amount of money, if I, if I live the right life, then you have to, you have to bless me in this way. That's not the expectancy that we're looking at here. This is an expectancy that, that maybe you don't understand how Jesus is gonna handle it, but you know Jesus has got it. And there's this beautiful expectancy here. And the enemy, he wants to rob this from you. The enemy wants to steal your expectancy. He wants to take away your hope that God has got whatever circumstances you're in. Wherever the wine has run out, the devil wants to steal the expectancy from you. He wants you to live a life that is stagnant. He wants you to get to a place where you say it is what it is. I'm sorry, but that's not faith. He wants you to believe, oh, I can't really trust anybody. He wants you to believe, well, there's no use for me. He wants you to think there's no hope for my life, for my life to change. Nothing can turn my water into wine. Some of you're looking at your own life and you're looking at all your flaws and your own weaknesses. And you've listened to the devil and the devil has robbed you of your expectancy that your God can turn water into wine. See, the enemy's at work. There's so much in there, there's so much anxiety today. Have you noticed? So much worry. And that's what the enemy wants to breed. He wants to bring fear I have a question for you and I really want you to write this down cuz I want you to ponder on this this whole week. Can your faith in Christ for what might be speak louder than the doubts and worry of what is? Can your faith in Christ for what might be speak louder than the doubts and worry of what is? Cuz there's lots of noises right now. There's so many people speaking. And we're listening to all these other sources of of, of noise and information. And and God wants you to listen to him. You have to know who to listen to. And this brings us really to the third takeaway. Not only do we need to know who to ask, we need to know who to listen to. But you have to know it will involve you. Look at verse 7. It says, Jesus says, fill the jars with water and they filled them to the brim. Jesus spoke and he involved the servants in the house. Isn't it so cool that before Nike became cool, Mary, the mother of Jesus, had already made it cool when she just said to the servants, just do it. And I think this is Jesus' way of showing his disciples. Remember, they're with him. This is like a window into them understanding real leadership, because he's using servants. He's inviting servants to participate in a miracle. These are people, no one knew their names, but they got to be in on the miracle. And he's saying to his disciples that leadership, servanthood is leadership. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead in the kingdom of God. He loves blessing those who serve, and so the servants are involved. You know, one of the big things here at Christ's Place we, we talk about is we want to be a people of bold moves. It's one of our values. And making a bold move takes faith. See, we believe that our God is a big God, so we won't dishonor him with small faith. But faith is is like a muscle. You you, you have to use it for it to grow. Now, the older I've become, Russ, the older I've become, the more I have to work at keeping muscle content. Rather than it going up, it just wants to sag. Because the truth is, faith... Not unlike our muscles, atrophy sets in when you're not using it. Well, well. And we just keep going through the motions. And we keep looking at the stone jars, going to church, and we treat church just like it's what it always is. Wow. And we fail to recognize that God wants to transform what you call religion, what you just go through the motions in. The, when you just are taking care of the outward appearance of going to church, God wants to do something new and fresh and bring some new wine into your life. The imagery in this whole miracle is phenomenal. I don't have time to talk about it. We're called the bride of Christ. Why not use a, the very first miracle to take place at a wedding? We're someday going to, we get to look forward to the marriage feast of the supper, the marriage feast of the, of, of the lamb, when we get to sit down with Jesus. Why not use a wedding for this beautiful picture? But you got to use your faith. You've you got to know it's going to involve you you got to find a way to stretch your, your muscles of faith. Every year we do this thing called Vision Builders, and we do these faith, old pastor calls it faith, commitment. And so, but some of us, we just see it like a, a Netflix thing. But no, the, the purpose, yes, we want to raise money for, for global, local, and raising up future leaders, and we want to do it above our, our tithes and percentage giving, and man, we're talking over a half a million last year. How awesome is that? But, but, but really, the reason why we call it a faith commitment is because it becomes a tool for you to start flexing some spiritual faith muscles so you can begin to see how God still turns water into wine, that he can do a miracle in your life, and it starts growing your cred as a believer. We want to make bold moves, and we never want to hesitate. When God speaks something to us, we need to do it. And we don't ever want our church... Wouldn't it be amazing if all of us, man, every single weekend we came to church not expecting to just sit through the service and leave the same way we came, but we came with an anticipation. We came with an expectancy yeah. Yeah. that the same God who, who turned seas into highways, the same God who took dry bones and he made an army, yeah. the same God who took a grave and he turned it into a garden, he takes the water and he turns it into wine. Hey. In church, when we're together... That, when you bring all that faith together, man, the, the energy and, and, and all that God longs to do would bless a people who are eager for him to move in their lives. Because, you know, faith is layered. You'll see this in scripture. Like some of you caught this, that verse 11. It said after they saw what Jesus did, they believed. But we just read in chapter 1 they believed. So are we talking about, you know, they're saved and then they're not saved? No. What we're seeing is there's a saving faith and then there's a growing faith. And throughout the book of John, God wants to deepen your faith. He wants to help you learn how to take steps of faith to begin to grow in your faith with him, which means you can't keep doing what you've always done and you can never come to a church service and treat it like it's just a stone jar that's been used for water cleansing. God wants to do something more. So imagine with me that we're the servants. We're the servants. You can, that gotta be, it's gotta be, it's like, you want me? They're out of wine, Jesus. You want me to get more water? And you hear these words, just do what he says. So follow this. You're one of the servants and these 20 to 30 gallon jars used for ritual cleansing of the outward man. I mean, that's a lot of water. You couldn't pick up the jar, so you had to use smaller jars or buckets to fill it up. And knowing the the culture and the setting, the well usually was outside of the town. It could be 100 yards, even a mile away. It's probably not that far, but it, it was outside the town. And so... The servants, we don't know how many servants, there's multiple servants. They're, they've probably got several jars, several buckets they're carrying. And they gotta walk all the way out to where the well is. And guess what, man? When when they're when they're filling their buckets, it's water. It's water when they're putting it in the bucket. It's water while they're carrying it back to the jar. And when they pour it into the larger jar, guess what it is? It's water. And then they go back out to the well. And it's water when they're pulling in their buckets. It's water as they're carrying it back to the jar. And it's water when they're pouring it back in that big jar. Come on, you following with me now? I, I, I'm going back out to the well. It's water in the bucket. It's water when I'm carrying it. And it's water when I'm pulling in the jar. And it's in that time when you're heading back out to the well and you're thinking, why did I even talk? Why did I even listen to Jesus? I can get water. Have you ever been praying before and, and you're asking God for something and he seems to be giving you something quite opposite of what you're asking for? You're asked for wine and he just keeps having you get water. Wow. We so dislike the process of growing in the Western church. We want our cake and we're going to eat it right now. And we, we we have the wrong kind of anticipation and expectancy. God's trying to grow your faith, and he's trying to grow your character, because he will not leave you the way he finds you today. Come on. Come on. It's, it. It's, it. it's water when you pour it into the bucket. It's water when you carry it to the jar. And guess what? It's water until you pour it in the jar. And then you got 30 gallons. You're going back. And it's during this time the devil says, Yeah. This is ridiculous. You know, yeah, just give up. You don't need to keep doing this. Why are you involved in this? Man, that Jesus, he ain't gonna come through for you. And it's water when you put it in the bucket. It's water when you carry it to the jar. And it's water when you pour it back into the jar. And this is what goes on. And the servant's minds are probably just being blown away. And then Jesus has the nerve to say to the servants, now, pour it out. And guess what happens the water becomes wine now listen to me you don't have to have enough faith for the water to be wine you just need to have enough faith to do what jesus says to do i love that about him and you know the wines run out in our world And some of you have run out of wine in your marriage. And some of you have run out of wine in your job place. And some of you have run out of wine with your hope. And God wants to turn the water into wine. Why not let Him do a miracle in your soul today? Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.